There is a virus that you were born with that runs through each and every one of our veins, and it is the virus of man's sin. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. Our 2019 theme is making disciples as we help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Good morning. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans. The title of my message today is We Have Issues. It's good to confess that. Just turn to your neighbor and say, we've got issues. All right, go ahead. It feels good. Just confess it. It is so true. I'm going to prove it to you in a number of ways today. As you think about the issues of modern day today, we have the coronavirus, and it is a real deal. It's getting a lot of attention, a lot of concern. As you heard, we're already elbow bumping and fist bumping just to be safe. And it's amazing to me how much attention and how much passion is brought to things like viruses that start to spread. And yet we're going to see today, the Apostle Paul is going to say, we got way bigger issues than coronavirus. We have a virus every one of us has been infected with. There is a virus that you were born with that runs through each and every one of our veins, and it is the virus of man's sin. It is deadly. It is toxic. And it will destroy your life. But the problem is, we don't want to admit we have issues. And a matter of fact, even as early as it is in the coronavirus, we think we're safe right here in America, and you're not necessarily safe unless you take precautions, unless you're proactive. And the same is true with your soul. But the problem is, man believes we've got this. We're indestructible. Nothing can touch us. It's as if we are superhuman, and we can conquer anything. I'll prove to you that that is not the case, that while we think we are tougher and stronger than we are. We all got issues. Take a look at this video and it will prove my point. <laughs> all right. We all got issues. Can we all admit it now? Would you agree? People paid big money to do that to themselves, thinking they could fly. Man was not meant to fly. And there are people today who think that in dealing with this virus that we have in our veins, this issue of sin, that there's some way we can soar above that, that we can fly above those things and we can fix our sin. And the Apostle Paul is going to say, no, we all have issues. As we dig into this, we're going to study here in Romans chapter 3 the reality of the doctrine of condemnation. The first three chapters, Paul is presenting the case and saying, we all got issues. Whether you fall into this camp of saying, you know what, my issue is unrighteousness, immorality. I've lived my life based on the passions and desires of my flesh, and there are many who have fallen into that trap, and that's the issue that runs through their veins, unrighteousness. In chapter 2, he says, and there are those who think that they've conquered that, and because they're self-righteous, because they're religious, because they go to church, because they have a Bible, that they are now safe from the virus, and he says both are eternally ill. And so in chapter 3, we're going to finish up the darker chapters of this letter. It starts off very difficult as we wrestle with the doctrine of man and who man is. But I would tell you, if you don't have the right doctrine of who man is, you'll never understand the doctrine of salvation. There are many people today who are strong in their church attendance, but are very weak in their doctrine. 
There are others who are very strong in the ways of the world's understanding and have bought into the American liberal agenda, a humanistic approach that basically says, while we have our weaknesses, man is still basically good. And that if we just try harder and if we just do more, and especially this generation, the millennial generation is known for their desire to really make a difference in their lifetime, and that is a great pursuit. But if we're doing those things to try to make ourselves better so that God will love us, we've got the wrong doctrine of man. And as a result, we don't understand the doctrine of salvation. There was an old movie that maybe you were forced to watch with your grandfather. It was an old Clint Eastwood movie. It's called The Good, The Bad. Don't you dare look at your neighbor right now, okay? And I want you to think about this. Here's Clint Eastwood. It was a classic Western. He's labeled as the good guy, even though he's a tough guy. And then you have the guy in the middle, Lee Van Cleef. He was the bad guy, the good and the bad. And then can you imagine one day you're sitting in your trailer, your agent comes in and says, hey, I've got, the, I've got a part for you to act in a movie with Clint Eastwood. Man, you start seeing dollar signs. You're all excited. You're going to be billing with Clint Eastwood in a movie classic. Tell me about the role. What part do I get to play? Am I his, am I his side hand? Am I, am I, are we going to be the good guys? No. Am I going to get to be one of the bad guys? No. You get to be the ugly guy. Who wants to sign up for that? And for some reason, this guy named Eli said, give me the role. Well, it was a classic movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as you look at this book of Romans, it's written a little bit differently. What we're finding is it's the bad, the ugly, and eventually we're going to get to the good. So I want you to hang with me. I know we've had several weeks of dealing with some difficult subjects and looking at some dark things. And a matter of fact, at the very beginning of this sermon, it's pretty ugly. It's a reality that all of us have to understand and just get honest and transparent. Not that you have to deliver all your baggage in this place, but between you and a God that created you, you've got to get, you've got to get transparent. And before we see how bad and ugly things are, we can never see the good news, the good news of salvation. So we start off with the bad and the ugly. I give you exhibit A, a casket. I preached a sermon similar to this back in my church in Tulsa and actually had a casket on the stage, freaked some people out. So I learned from that day, I'm not going there, but I will give you the mental image up on the screen. The reality is that unless Jesus returns that twinkling of an eye between now and the last breath you ever take, this is the destiny for all of mankind. Why is that? Because the wages of sin is death. The Bible says every one of us will taste a physical death. But Paul is going to unpack another image, and you can get rid of that. That's enough on that scene. Amen. Can I get an amen from the congregation? You wouldn't expect to see somebody alive in a casket. That'd be even weirder, wouldn't it? A casket was built for the dead. And the reality is that there is a physical death but there is, as we saw last week, a second death. Lose, the, lose that slide for me. I'm, I'm done with the casket. All right. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Not so fun to look at, is it? But that's the reality. And the reality is, when your day comes, and it's a coming, what will be the next breath you take? 
The Bible says that can be in the presence of God to be absent from this body. You can be present with the Lord. How is that true? We're going to see that in a minute. But there's also another reality that when you leave this place, when you take your last breath on planet Earth, you can have eternal life with Jesus or you can have eternal death, a second death, separated from him. You say, man, let's get off the bad news. Well, until we fully understand it, we can't understand the good news. So let's go to Romans chapter 3. Let's finish out these first three chapters and get to some good news. The bad and ugly first, though. Look at verse 9. Paul goes on as he's addressing his audience. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Remember, he's transitioned over to this group. He's now talking to perhaps those who were the moral high ground, the philosophers of Rome, and certainly a Jewish audience that thought their religion made them better. So you have a bunch of people who look down on the unrighteous and say, well, at least I'm not like them. I don't do those things. I go to church. I have my moral high ground. And so Paul's going to address them, and he says, Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Let me put it in modern translation. So are Baptists, Methodists, Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Church, fill in any religious label you want to slot in there and the same is true of all of mankind we have all been infected with the virus called sin how do I know that drop down to verse 23 it's also on the screen for it says all who would that be that's you the person sitting next to you and the person preaching at you all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God we have issues our problem is that we are dead in our sin and while most people understand the casket and the reality of physical death, they've missed out on the reality of a second death and forget what that means for all of eternity. We've talked about this before, but I bring you the case of Nicodemus again. I always think about this because it leads to the most powerful verse in Scripture, John 3.16. And everybody's memorized that verse and everybody knows that verse, but very few people stop and think about the context of that verse. That John 3.16 comes after John chapter 3, verse 3. You have Nicodemus. He wasn't an unrighteous guy. He wasn't in this camp. He was a guy who grew up like maybe some of you in this room. Maybe grew up with a family that pursued God and his word. Uh, he was a teacher of the Jews. He'd probably grown up in a very devout Jewish family. He knew the word. He had studied the word. And now he was a teacher of the word. This is a good dude. If anybody would be right with God because of their goodness, it would be this guy Nicodemus. And yet Nicodemus had the same emptiness that I had not growing up in the church, growing up in my unrighteousness. Me and Nicodemus have the same story. It just looks a little different. The chapters in his book may be a little cleaner than the chapters in my book, but both of us had the same story. We were both dead in our sin. Nicodemus comes to Jesus trying to fix it, thinking, man, have I missed something in the Word? What's wrong? Why am I so empty? And you remember, Jesus didn't say, well, Nicodemus, you just need to fix your theology. You just need to go back to school and get another degree. And Nicodemus, you just need to try harder and, and preach a little better and be more faithful and that'll fix it for you. No religion will ever fix it. No self-righteousness and the things we try to do to be more righteous can ever fix it. 
But Jesus said something very profound to Nicodemus that we've got to hear. And he said to Nicodemus, you must start taking notes, right? What what do I got to do? Just tell me, Lord, and I'll do it. You must be born again. And Nicodemus wrestled with that. He said, that's impossible. I can't be born again. My mom is old. That's it. He just, he knew anatomy enough to know that ain't going to happen. And Jesus said, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You see, because we were born in this world physically, we will taste death. The wages of sin is death. We've all got it in our veins. We will die physically. But the Bible, as we saw last Sunday, talks about a second death. That's for those who die in their sin, who go out into eternity and have to be separated from the holiness of God because they're unholy in their sin. A second death. And what was true for Nicodemus, what was true for me, both of us were spiritually dead. He was more religious, I was more unrighteous, but both of us were spiritually dead. And every person in this room that's ever been born, that's been born and is now in this very place, you too were born spiritually dead. And joining a church, even hitting a baptistry doesn't fix it. Paul's going to point out that the only thing that can fix it is Jesus transforming us. We can't do it. Let me prove it to you. He's going to give the proof. Go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to highlight just very quickly what he would tell us about the doctrine of man, what we must understand about the core of who we are as natural human beings. The first thing he says, verse 10, for it is written, there is none righteous, and in case you didn't understand what he was saying there, he makes a better point of emphasis and says, not even one. And you, whoa, whoa, what about Nicodemus? What about Uncle Charlie? What about, what about Grandma? They were so good. Well, Scripture tells us they might be better than others, but none, not one person, not one is righteous in the sight of a holy God. None are righteous. It's all like filthy rags. And how many times have you heard somebody say, well, yeah, but they were, they were a good person. They did so many good things. I understand. But what you have to understand about holiness, holiness by definition is 100% pure without sin. And what Paul is saying, it doesn't matter if you're in that camp or this camp, there are none of us that are 100% pure. All of us have at least one degree or 1% or 10%, or 20%, it doesn't matter the percentage, all of us are less than pure, all of us are guilty. Verse 11. So there, he, he points out there are none who are righteous. Then in verse 11 he says, there are none who understands. Nobody just wakes up thinking God's stuff. Nobody walks around and says, yeah, from the time I was born, I got the God thing down. It's always been about God. Even if you grew up in a Christian family, all of us in our natural state pursue the things of nature, the things of creation, the things of our flesh. And it's pointing out here that there are none of us who in our own humanity even get it, even understand we must be born again to get it. It goes on in verse 11, the third thing he says, and there are none who seek for God. When I first started ministry, one of the phenomenons of church growth was called seeker-sensitive churches. That you would build Sunday morning around what people wanted because they were seeking God and you wanted to make it very friendly so that they could come and hear God and get to know the Lord. And I'm all for reaching the lost, but that theology is way off. Scripture says there are none who seek 
after God. You say, well, that's not true. I'm, I'm seeking God. Well, I would tell you if you're seeking God, that's because God has come to you and has enlightened you and is drawing you to himself. And when I see that scripture and I know I am seeking God, that is a great sign that God is doing something special in your life. Now, if you're listening in this morning and all you care about is what's happening after this, that may be a scary sign that you're still stuck in your natural flesh, that you aren't seeking the Lord, and that ought to be a wake-up call in and of itself. We see this reality in Genesis, the first creation. I know we talk about it a lot, but I always want us to, to ground ourselves in biblical doctrine. And if we're to understand the doctrine of man, if we're to understand what man really is, let's look at the first man and the first woman. When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, they weren't born with that virus in their veins. They were born perfect. They lived in paradise. And even in that, it's hard for me to get this and understand it, but they were still tempted by the enemy to add to the human experience. Instead of living in holiness, instead of living in that right relationship with God, they wanted to add more in. And they said, I can do both. I can love God and love this as, to, this as well. Don't we try to do the same thing from time to time? Add to the equation? Adding the things of this world as if that will make us even more happy or more joyful? Well, they did what God said not to do. They dishonored God, disobeyed God, and then they were infected with the virus, and they became the first carriers. And they passed it on to their kids, and it's been passed on throughout all of human history. We've all been infected with sin. Now, take a look at the first man and the first woman, and what did they do with their virus? Why would they not go running? You know where I would have run? I would have run to the great physician. I would have gone to my creator, wouldn't you, and say, God, you can heal all things. God, heal me. I'm sick. God, fix me. Fix me. Isn't that where you would go? No. We would do exactly what Adam, as a matter of fact, we do what Adam and Eve did. What did they do? Instead of running to God, what did they do? They ran from God. They went and they hid. And not only did they hide, what they said is, we got to do surgery. We got to fix our disease. We got to heal ourselves. And so they tried covering up with fig leaves. Remember, we talked about the fig leaf theology that we can fix it? We can't. And it always blows me away that we're no different than our predecessors and how we deal with our sin. Notice that they didn't go seeking God. But I want you to see this, God came seeking them. Even though they were hiding, and even though they were covering up, and maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe, maybe even though you're in church, you can still be covering it up as well. You can still be playing that game with God instead of seeking his forgiveness and his grace. You're just trying to fix it by going to church. It blows me away that they thought that there was a bush that was big enough and dense enough that God wouldn't see him. Isn't that crazy? And there are people today, and I did it too, who thought, you know what? I can create my own hiding place. I can fix this. If I just try harder, if I just do better, then God will love me again. And I want you to understand, there is no one who understands the reality of our sin like we should. There's no one who on their own seeks after God. But I do want you to see this, verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Adam, where are you? What I want you to see in that story is God came to them right where they were. 
And he came to them when they weren't asking him. They didn't cry and say, God, please return. Please come back. Please forgive. They weren't looking to walk with God anymore. They were running from God. And that may be going on in your heart right now as well. That may be your strategy. I'm just going to buy some more time. I'm going to do it my way. I want you to understand God pursues you. God comes to you. And that just didn't happen in the garden. I want you to understand that happened for every person in this room as well. As much as he pursued Adam and Eve, he pursued you even more. What do you mean, Pastor? 2,000 years ago, Jesus left a throne in heaven. And Jesus saw that we were all infected with the virus, that we all were dead in our sin, and that the wages of sin is death. And God so loved you, he sent his son. Jesus left that throne, and he came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died, not because he was sold out by the Romans, or sold out by the Jews, the Pharisees, not because the Romans nailed him to a cross, but because I did, and because you did. And that's what Jesus did for us. He came to us. He entered into the human experience. He became one of us so he could die for us. That's how much God loves you. That's the good news. He came to us. And why did he have to come? Go back to Romans 3. The list goes on and on. Not only are those, there those who don't seek him, those who don't understand, but there are none who do good. Look at verse 12. For all have turned aside, and together they have become useless. There's none who does good, not even one. Verses 13 and 14, it goes on. It says there are those who aren't even encouraging or edifying, for their throat is an open grave. Their tongues are deceiving. Poison of asps is under their lips. I always say lisp there for some reason, under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. It gets worse, it gets uglier, verse 15 through 18, and basically says there's none who behave. Look at it. For their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. The doctrine of man is this. At our core, we are sold out to everything but God. We don't seek him. We don't understand. We pursue, our feet run after everything but God. And it's finally summarized in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what you have to understand about man, what we have to understand about ourselves is we all are in that category. We all have been infected. It's all in our veins. All have sin. That word sin there, you've heard it preached before, literally was the same word that they would use when they were having competition, and it means to miss the mark. You see this picture here, you see a bullseye, and as you would shoot, your goal is to hit the middle, the center, not just any place in there, but to hit the bullseye. Anything short of a bullseye was called sin, the word they used for sin in the Greek. It means to miss the mark. What is true of every person in this room? Every one of us have missed the mark. The only one that has ever hit the bullseye, the only one who walked on this planet and hit the bullseye was Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. He lived a perfect life and he laid down that perfect life. Why? Because we'd all sinned. Let me give you a definition for sin again. It's right here in this verse. The best way I can categorize sin, and it's something you can use. I've had people say, well, pastor, 
Is this a sin? Pastor, do you think this is today, in today's world, do you think this is a sin? Let me give you a classic definition according to verse 23. Sin, write this down, sin is anything that does not bring glory to a holy God. We've all sinned and fallen short of what? Glorifying God. That's what sin is. So quit trying to figure out, is this a sin? Is this okay? Just look at what honors God. What brings glory to his holiness? What is holy? And there you have your definition. So as we get through chapter 3, we've looked at the bad. We've looked at the ugly. How about we look at the good news? You ready for some good news? Can we move on or do you need some more? I I hammer you all day. You want some more? Go to Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Also written by the Apostle Paul. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, there is good news. God did what we couldn't do. The great physician brought us the antidote. You know, it's amazing to me, as I said earlier, how much attention the coronavirus is getting. People are stocking up on masks and antibacterial. Don't, get, don't take it personal. Somebody, after they bump up against you or accidentally shake your hand, start squirting antibacterial. We, don't, we, we know you ain't got the cooties. But everybody's nervous about the virus, don't want to get infected. Well, guess what? Paul says you're already infected with a more deadly virus. And why don't we take it as serious as we do coronavirus? The good news, what if I, wouldn't you love to have the antidote to coronavirus right now? You would be a wealthy person. You'd retire for life. But let me tell you, there is a remedy for the deadliest virus that man has ever known. It's found in Colossians Chapter 2, look at it, verse 13. When you were dead. Is there anything more deadly than dead? Uh Uh-uh. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. Circle that and write it down. We've seen the doctrine of man. We're all infected. You want to see the doctrine of salvation? Only God can fix it. He makes you alive. You see, this virus, I was spiritually dead. Nicodemus was spiritually dead. You are spiritually dead in your sin. But Jesus can make you alive, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, and he has nailed it to the cross. Paul paints a picture of a person in that day, when they owed a debt they couldn't pay, it's a little different than us. Uh, The American culture, most people are in debt way over their eyeballs, and there's no such thing as a debtor's prison. There may be personal bankruptcy, there may be other consequences, but we don't know a debtor's prison they did in that day. And if you couldn't pay your debts, you would be cast into that debtor's prison, and you would stay there till the day you died, unless somebody came and paid your debt. And rarely could anybody ever pay it. And so it was like a death sentence. But on rare occasion, if a rich relative or somebody who had pity on your soul would pay off your debt, a decree would be established and it would be nailed up and it would be public for all to see that your debt had been paid. And Paul talks about the greatest declaration that has ever been given for any man or any woman on this planet. And he talks about how we 
also can be set free from our debt of sin. Remember what the wages of sin is? Wages, the payment. What is it? Death. Jesus paid that price. He set you free. He can set you free. He can make you alive. But how was your debt paid for? End of verse 14. A substitute. Jesus paid the price with his life. And there, for all of humanity to see 2,000 years ago, the son was nailed as a public decree. Your debt has been paid. All of your debts have been paid for as he was nailed to the cross. Let me just show you the good news of that payment. Psalm 103, verse 11, you can write it down and look on the screen. It talks about his debt payment, what he did for us. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's, that's some serious height. As great as his loving kindness is for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you, those who fear him. So there are those who go out into eternity and their sins will have been forgiven. They're covered in the blood of Jesus that was shed and nailed on a cross. And they are now allowed into the presence of a holy God. There will be others who don't look to the blood of Jesus, but look to their self-righteousness. I went to church. I did this. I did that. I even did it in your name, Lord. Remember what we saw? Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. But for those who realize they're bankrupt, for those who are poor in spirit, Jesus talked about it, they will see God. When they, when they declare their bankruptcy, God, I have nothing to bring you. God, I'm lost in my sin. And God, I can't fix it. But Lord, I know you did. I know you died for me. And Lord, I, play, I don't just believe it in my head. God, I give you my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. He will remove all of it as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 38, you don't have to turn there, but look at it on the screen, verse 17. Isaiah prophesied, in your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. Speaking of death and hell. You protected me from the pit of destruction. You've put all my sins behind your back. A couple of pictures pop up here. First one, I can see, remember, well, they don't even do this anymore. When your parents and I were growing up, we used to have recess playground time and we go out on the playground and some of the most evil things happened in our generation on playgrounds all across America it was a brutal stage of life and something always bad was going on and there were always fights happening and all this and all that and and so if if you couldn't handle yourself on the playground you were easy prey I could see a little kid going home and telling his parents what had happened he's out of black eye he's all battered up I can see the next day, playground happens. Everybody goes running out. They're looking for little Billy. Uh, let's use Sam. That was my little brother's name. Sam. They're looking for Sam. He deserved his beating. But here comes Dad. And Dad walks out on the playground. And Sam comes and runs and hides right behind Dad. Anybody getting to Sam that day? Ain't happening. That's one picture. The other picture is the reality of what Isaiah is picturing here our sin that is ever before us our sin that Satan loves to rub our face in 
When we confess that to God, God takes that sin, the ugliness, the bad, the ugly. He takes all that. He places it behind his blood, the blood of his son. It's forever gone as far as the east is from the west. And I know God sees all things. I know all that stuff. But the point is, no one sees what's behind them, right? God ain't seeing it because it's gone. And the only way it was removed is not, not through anything we did. It's what God does. And it's what God made available as he nailed his son to a cross so that all that would believe in him, their sins would be removed, placed behind the back of God, and eternal healing of the virus that runs in our veins. So I ask you this question. When your day comes, and it will come, I know there are some young people in here that you just can't see it, you're going to live forever. We all used to think that too. Right, Mom? Right, Dad? The reality is, all of us are heading towards a casket. The question is, what happens next? Eternal life because you've been healed of the virus? Because of Jesus who was nailed to the cross? Or is it a second death? Separation from his holiness because your sin is before him. Let's pray about it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Good, bad, ugly, bad, ugly, good. Until you understand the bad and the ugly, you cannot understand the good news. And boy, I had to come to that realization that when I was going to church with Cammie thinking I was fixing it, and man, I was not doing the ugly stuff anymore, and I was starting to do good stuff, that surely God loved me. I, in that moment, trying to become self-righteous instead of unrighteous, in that very moment, I came to realize I still was sick with sin. And I needed to be healed. And I couldn't heal myself. And there was no doctor on planet earth that could heal me. But there was a great physician. The Lord Jesus who became the antidote. That if I would place my faith in his substitutionary death. If I would believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead. I could be saved. And it was in that moment that I was born a second time. It was in that moment, that realization of the bad and the ugly in my life, that I saw the good news. Jesus would save me and heal me. And I could have a new life in Christ. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you need that good news. Maybe the enemy has been drowning you in the bad and the ugly. Maybe he has convinced you you're not worthy of God's love. That's a lie, and he is the father of all lies. The truth is, for God so loved you, He sent an antidote. He made a way for the virus to no longer kill, steal, and destroy. But you've got to receive the antidote. Same is true if somebody had coronavirus. If there was a pill, an antidote, they would have to consume that. They would have to let that go in their body to bring their healing. The same is true spiritually. Christ must come and live in you. Not your head your heart if that's never happened I pray that as you've heard the word of God that it has penetrated your dead heart and that he would bring you life that you would receive that gift today say pastor I don't know what to do next I don't know how I don't know how to do that I didn't either and so Jay Strack as he was preaching led us in what's called a sinner's prayer the prayer doesn't save you but when you pray to God he saves you When you call on his name, the Bible says you become his child. So if that's you, 
right now where you are, you don't have peace with God, you realize the bad and the ugly of your sin, and you need a Savior, then right now, doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, mama or dad, a grandma or a grandpa, everyone who has the virus needs the antidote, Jesus. And if that's you, right where you are, you can cry out and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Just admit what he already knows. Come out from hiding from behind the bush like Adam and Eve had to do. Admit your sin. I've sinned against you. Next, say, God, I turn from my sin. I turn to you, my Savior. I give you my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.